Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to The Chaser Report for Saturday the 14th of August, a special Saturday edition with some content we couldn't fit in during the week just to keep you entertained during your weekend. And to start things off, Craig has directed a film, Charles. Yes, this is a this is a film about uh, well, it's called The Big Deal, and it's about money and power and politics and influence. It's his directorial debut. Yes, you can tell us about it. And the best thing about the movie is that Craig's not in it. It's actually Christian Van Vuren, the Bondi hipsters. But Craig's worked very closely with him. It sounds amazing, and Craig's going to tell us all about it. Also today, Ketan Joshi, who's an expert on all matters climate, is going to talk us through the IPCC report. Charles, you caught up with him this week. How upbeat's he feeling about it? Look, I was feeling very depressed about the IPCC report, but Katan has actually read, well, he actually hasn't read it because it's 3,900 pages long, but he's he's read the summary and he's going to give us a summary of the summary. Do you think that passes muster, Gabby, as an effort for a special Saturday episode? I mean, seriously. Oh, you know what? Anything goes now. You no, guys always tell me to research for this, and do you think I've ever done it? No. But I think the, the very fact that no one's going to read that document is exactly the reason why the world is burning. Okay, so he's giving a summary of the summary. Charles, yeah. you interviewed him. Can you yeah. give us a summary of the summary of the summary? Here we go. Which is that there are, is reason for hope in this report, which I thought was just doom and gloom. Um, there's, there's this sort of... He's really happy with it. It's sort Clearly, of really- neither of the two of you have read the report. But anyway, that's fine. We'll hear what he has to say. He's a great guy. There's no news today, by the way. Straight into the content after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Chaser Report on a Saturday. Special extra edition. And here's Craig Rucastle. Now, so Craig, you've done a film. Yes, I have. I've directed a film, bizarrely. A bit of a uh, big deal people, to direct a film. It was. Although, yeah, look, you say that. <laughs> it's extremely time-consuming and painful. Like, it's just <laughs> an absolute gut-wrencher. So did you did you have this image that Steven Spielberg just, you know, becomes director, it's a few days' work, and then Star Wars gets produced or whatever? Is that is that what you imagined directing was? The problem is this, right, is that Steven Spielberg is in the edit suite um, of the movie that Steven Spielberg has shot, right? But you see, when I'm in the edit suite trying to edit it, it's been shot, you know, directed by me, and that's just oh, the real no. size. <laughs> like, you know, right. You're going, where's the coverage? We don't have the shot for that. Somebody should have yeah, thought exactly. of this. Shots for this. Yeah. Why do we do this? <laughs> Thankfully, Christian Van Vuren is brilliant, so he could always provide something. But, you know, just me cleaning up after myself the whole time. <laughs> so what, what, what is it about? What's the film about? It is about um, democracy and it's about money and politics and influence and all of that kind of stuff. It starts as somebody you may know, actually. Uh, Sam Dastiari is in it. And, and it is, it's interesting, like... 
Oh my I God. Just, did, he, did he tell you that you were being recorded when when you interviewed him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He told me, yeah, that was the great thing about doing recording with Sam Dostiari is that you like, oh, if the audio guy stuffs up, the yeah. Chinese government will have this. Yeah. Like, we'll be able to get a backup file. And ASIO will have another yeah, backup. Yeah, and ASIO yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> But it's it's actually interesting. I like literally last night. I had a kind of you know a chat with lots of people who'd seen the film for the first time. And in the kind of online chat, the comments from people coming through, people like just I can't believe how honest Sam Dastiari is about it. Like because he just <laughs> yeah. kind of it's not a word that you associate with Sam Dastiari. Well, this is the great yeah. thing about Sam is that ironically he's like so honest. He just lays out everything kind of yeah. really truthfully about how it works because he's he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. And he's obviously <laughs> trying to lie in some other way, but he doesn't realize. That that's the bit he should have been lying about. That's great. <laughs> no, but he, he, is, he is fantastic, actually. He's like, it's, you know, you do these really long interviews. This is what kills you about making the documentary movie. And he just likes really long interviews and you've got to cut them down to small bits. And Dastiari, there was just so much gold. It was actually really important. It was so hard to actually fit it in. Because the, the thing about Sam Dastiari, for people who don't, know who he is is he was in the thick of alp politics for many many years he actually ran the new south mm. wales arm he knows where of the, the labor bo- party bodies are buried because he was the one who yeah, well, shot them yeah because yeah. he was the one burying all the bodies and then he yeah. became a senator and then he just committed a bit of light treason and um and and then because he got <laughs> so jettisoned by that whole institution he's now able to speak honestly about it it's an extraordinary yeah. arc but but it's it is interesting because he was like the the, the biggest fundraiser the labor party's ever had and essentially you know the thing with sam is he's quite a brilliant guy so you know he's put in charge of fundraising he just absolutely yeah. nails it but then mm. just to hear him talk <laughs> about that process is just it's quite frightening is it a depressing movie no well this is the interesting thing about like it what we filmed this over a period of kind of in and out of lockdowns and all this kind of stuff and the first part of like the first several months was all the kind of filming the problem of money and politics and influence and all this kind of stuff and it got really depressing to be honest it was actually quite fundamentally depressing but we ended up also filming some other parts which kind of looked at i guess push back against this, things like the voices for movements or different kind of movements or different communities that kind of kind of stood up and pushed back against things and it became really like at the end i was in tears but just because it was really uplifting actually uh so there's kind of there's both it's kind of there's depressing parts mm. as sam just, you know, just lays out how everything happens and you kind of see how just normalized all this stuff is actually mm. and then there is kind of there's a bit of uplifting stuff as well but yeah i don't know it's it's it, it was also it was amazing doing it though as well because doing a movie about democracy in australia and one of the problems with it like kind of money and influence in this the hardest part of it was that there were so many other scandals dropping about different other parts of how <laughs> shit our democracy is we kept having to go no no focus focus we can't cover all of the shit bits of our democracy at once we literally only have several hours to do it <laughs> so are you going to run for office now that you've seen uh, how it works from the inside oh god no, it's, this is the thing it's kind of it's depressing and it, what I think is fascinating about it is that a lot of politicians hate it too like they don't want it and this is what's the, the kind of the uplifting part about it is because a lot of the change has to come some of the change can come from outside but a lot of the change has to come from within politicians making changes and that has happened at times like different states have made great changes to laws and tried to to fix this a little bit it hasn't always fixed it you know but <clears throat> it's made step changes in the right direction and that's because there are lots of politicians in each party that hate this kind of fundraising and this kind of bullshit and this kind of influence so there is you know it's not like all the politicians love this stuff you know 
there is a kind of hope you could get positive change here. Well, the the Liberal Party ran in the last election on the platform of setting up a, a national integrity commission. <laughs> so clearly they're on board. How's that going? What happened? What happened yeah. with that? Oh, look, it's just a bit of a delay. Now's not the time. No, they, to talk no, they set up the commission, but before they set up the commission, they needed to make sure everybody in the commission had a place to park. And so they yeah. had to... A car park, yeah. Yeah, they had to make a few car parks happen. Okay, you know, it's little steps, little steps. Well, they did actually, like the actual kind of, plan they put out for a National Integrity Commission basically seemed to predominantly protect the politicians and everyone else got in trouble. It's like, yeah, I don't think that's what we were really calling for, guys. Um, might want to wrap that up a bit. So, yeah. like, I mean, full credit to them for losing so many ministers without a proper National Integrity Commission. But did you find out, Craig, did McDonald's pay for the product placement in ScoMo's rumour? Because that <laughs> would have been a lot of money. Behind. You're always making these, these in-getting jokes. He has gone on to Carl and Jackie O and denied it, guys. And there is mm. no higher journalistic source of course I mean, he, you know if he got if he was lying he would have been called yeah. to... you can lie to parliament but you can't lie to Kyle and Jackie o. exactly exactly <laughs> and also because Kyle you know Kyle is an expert on the topic like he is actually the expert on this if you think about it you know if you're going to go to Kerry Brown and Lee Sales the expert on politics there you know but when it comes to uh, the question of being a piece of shit uh, <laughs> Kyle Sandler is the expert on that so yeah. <laughs> can't argue with that but the movie is, uh, is, is it's following Christian Van Vuren from the Bondi Hipsters and he is just lovely and wonderful and sings and why and him cool. why? Well, he was well it's kind of you know, firstly, he was kind of he wanted to look into this initially, and I kind of came on a little bit later, actually. But B, because it's he's not an expert. That's the thing. He isn't. He's not an expert. He's not somebody fascinated by politics. So it's kind of seeing things through an average Australian's perspective of it when you kind of exposed to it. And it was fascinating, actually, in some of the interviews where things that I realise I take for granted, and you'd see it be described to Christian and he's outraged at it. And I went, oh fuck, of course. Mm. I've got past the point of being outraged by that. Mm. And that was the thing with politicians as well, is how they generally just talk about this as if it's the norm. They've accepted this as part of the game. And so to see the outrage that people do have about it, I think that's what leads to that general kind of lack of trust there. So yeah, it was it was great to kind of he's not only the love of this guy, but just to kind of actually see that through his eyes is really nice. I was outraged as well many times as well. But yeah, there yeah, were some yeah. things that like you go Shit, yeah, that is bad. Is it massively depressing as a result? Yeah, no, you know, I only cry at uplifting things. Like, I don't cry at sad things. Uh, that's why, you know, Huggies commercials really get me. Uh, <laughs> but but it, it is the case. I've watched this movie now fucking millions of times, like to the point of just killing me. And there are still bits that I cry at, <laughs> like each time I watch them. It's really bizarre. And bizarrely, there are different, it's interesting, there are different bits in the movie that different people who watch cry at as well, which always I find really interesting. So it's supposed to be in cinemas on the 16th of September. Now, yep, I'm assuming... and Gladys is in charge of that. It'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so basically that means it'll be like what in Western Australia and Tasmania, you'll be able to see it in cinemas on the sixteenth uh, yeah. of September. And What's the plan? South Australia? Are, are you going to be able to stream it or something instead? Yeah, or? look, I don't, that that kind of stuff is changing all the time. You can kind of uh, follow Twitter and there's a uh, bigdeal.org is the website. I'll make it a bigdeal.org is the and, website. And we'll and we'll keep posting updates on the Chaser socials as well. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll I will tell you where it's going to be. Mm. Um, <laughs> it might be just yeah. might Do be you, broadcast by the Chaser report. <laughs> 
knows. But <laughs> do you have the name of the movie yet? Oh yeah, sorry. It's called uh, Big Deal. Uh, is that democracy for sale? It's interesting you say that, Gabby, because we almost we like we literally didn't have a name for the movie until pretty much right at the end. <laughs> Titling everything is like if you if you ever try and start the name, have a debate about names. Mm. You it, basically it's the takes, whole project. It takes days. You, yeah. The whole project stops. You yeah. cannot yeah. do that. You know that's why I presume that's why this is called the Chaser Report because you're like, should we come up with a good name for it? You're like, no, let's no. not distract it. Generic put it out. Well, that's yeah. why I was the name and move um, on. That's, that's why I was the war. That's exactly how I was named. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder why kids get named actually straight away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually, it's true. The name Craig. My parents were just like, give up. <laughs> I to think, know. imagine if they'd waited a week. You could have had a name like, I don't know, Tanya. Blastatron or something. Yeah. <laughs> Blastatron. That would be a great name. Never, never reproduce, Gabby. Never reproduce. I don't, I don't plan <laughs> yeah. on it. When I watch Huggies commercials, I cry, not out of joy. Well, I'm looking forward to all the sort of laser battles between... Spacecraft yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. A oh lot of special God. effects in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been paying attention in this interview. It, it actually sounds a bit like episode one of Star Wars, if you think about it. It's about <laughs> the, the Senate. And, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Man, I was just like, I, that was me trying to go, what is episode one of Star Wars? I was <laughs> yeah. like, lost totally. <laughs> that was one of the other problems with me directing was that I've never seen a movie before. <laughs> Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the Chaser Report, and here's Charles's chat with Ketan Joshi. Earlier in the week, uh, the IPCC, which is uh, the international, no, what is it? The Intergovernment Panel, <laughs> Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you yeah, got yeah. the vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyway, it released this massive report, about thirty-two hundred pages, I think. And uh, I mean, of course, we've read it here at the Chaser. Um, but, you know, just to, just to make sure we're across the details uh, a little bit more, we're going to get an expert to try and help uh, unpick some of the findings of this incredibly important report. Joining us now is Katan Joshi. Now, so it, the, the, the report is about 3,200 pages, isn't it? 3,949. Um, oh, okay. I obviously missed a few of the appendixes. But so wait a minute. And have you, I mean, we've, of course, read it here. Jace, of course, it's been riveting reading. But have you, have you read it all? I've read. So, so you get that what they do is they release this thing called a summary for policymakers, and it's like 30 pages. Uh, and that's relatively readable. You know, I read right. it. Um, it's the cliff notes. What we want from you is a summary of the summary. Uh, right. And I suppose top line question, I think this is the one we've on everyone's mind is, are we all going to die? <laughs> there's there's two answers to that question. Uh, so, th- okay, so this gets into some really um, existential and philosophical questions about how much we control the future. So I won't get into that, even though it's what I've been thinking about for the past three days. 
There's two parts to what the IPCC report is telling us. The first part is what's already locked in from the emissions that we've already released, right? Like two point something trillion gigatons since the mid 1700s. Uh, and that amount is going to cause um, an, an amount of warming um, that we know for sure um, is going to happen, right? Um, so they quantify that. They use physical science to quantify that. Um, and then on top of that, it's also worth noting, there's like momentum in the systems of like human society, right? Like, so it is actually true that you can't shut off the world's coal plants overnight um, because you actually need to replace them with something else. And it takes time to build a wind farm and a solar farm and, and, and you know, batteries and stuff. So so what I'm hearing from you is that Barnaby Joyce has got a point and, and uh, is a totally right. In, in the worst faith now. possible... And, you know, arguing against a completely different point. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but, you know, basically the, the second story in the report is what we can still avoid, right? So um, depending on how fast we reduce emissions, it's like a completely linear relationship between how bad the impacts are, right? Like it's, it's um, uh, there's a graphic in the summary that is just like uh, a scatter plot of like how much emissions, how bad are the impacts? And it's just like a straight line, right? Because... Uh, every gigaton that we don't release is um, reduced climate impacts. And so the physical science is actually being directed towards the future as well to say, um, okay, if we release a lot of more greenhouse gases in the future, um, what are the impacts? If we manage to curb them, what are the I- impacts avoided? You know, what, or, or like, and, and what's kind of still baked into the system? So, so but, but why can't we just sequester all that carbon? Like... I got into a fight earlier this week with somebody who just went, well, hang on. Like, why don't we just invent a machine that puts it all back in the ground? Like, why is that so impossible? What, what, what's the problem with that? It's just hard to invent machines. Uh, I mean, you know, like in the, in the 60s and 70s, we didn't have wind and solar. And, and, the, and those had to be, you know, basically developed um, into technologies that was commercial enough that you could deploy them around the world really cheaply. That happened. That's an amazing thing, but it was hard. It was a really, really hard process. That happened over many decades from like government subsidies and deployments and fights about subsidies and fights about wind farms. But, but is, the, is there a machine? Yeah, there is a machine. So the, the, there's, two, there's two ways you can suck carbon from the atmosphere. The first is using a machine. So you can, like, there's um, some technologies in development. Um, one of them is called direct air capture, for instance, right? Um, and it's literally what it sounds like. It's, it's getting carbon dioxide from the air, capturing it. And in fact, in some cases, you could potentially use it for stuff, right? Because carbon is useful once you capture it. Um, so they're trying to also try and make it like into a commercial thing. So some companies are doing that. The other way you can do it is is what are called nature-based solutions. So um, the natural, like basically the respiration cycle of living things on Earth um, that photosynthesize, they actually consume carbon dioxide. Um, and so the idea is if you plant a bunch of extra trees, those trees will suck in more carbon. Um, but there's a huge, huge problem with that in that, um, first of all, that carbon stays right on the surface level of the Earth. Um, and secondly, you know, bushfires and wildfires, they burn down trees. Um, and we are so expecting the, more of those things. When the federal government sort of goes, oh, no, well, we're going to invest all the money in, you know, the technology side, like the carbon capture side, because that's how we can keep coal green. What, like, is that just bullshit, is it? Like, like that, that's actually a really important, that's actually a really important distinction. Um, so you've described um, carbon capture, which is, um, there are so many different like types of categorizations, right? So what I was talking about just then was taking carbon from the atmosphere and trying to remove it. Um, yeah. Very hard, very energy intensive. 
also very hard and energy intensive is if you... No, it's easy. Just burn more coal to run the machines to capture the... Yeah. <laughs> you joke, but people are proposing this. It's like a real... Uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. That's a... That's a <laughs> my blood pressure can't handle it this week. Um, what you're describing with the Australian government is, is carbon capture. So that's actually not taking carbon from the atmosphere, but trying to prevent it at the point of the, of the fossil fuel power station, right? So, so before it even gets released into the atmosphere, you have a machine, you have something added onto your coal plant that captures it before it actually ends up in the sky. Um, and then hypothetically, you could use that carbon to do something. So the only time that this has been useful... Um, and the only, currently the only sort of existing model of this working in the real world is when uh, oil um, and gas extraction facilities capture carbon in the process of, of extracting fossil fuels and then use that carbon uh, as a tool for extracting more oil. It's called enhanced oil recovery. Um, so the only current proven model for CCS um, commercially is worsening climate change by extracting more, more oil. So it's supercharging your oil world. Enhanced oil recovery right. does my head in. Like, it's completely wild how um, they're basically trying to claim a carbon credit um, for worsening the problem. It's, it's so it's so, it's so so frustrating. Is there any hope then? Like, it, it seems like it's all going to shit. All the graphs are going in the wrong direction. You've got all this ca- catastrophe. Where's the hope? Where, like, what... Why should we just not give up? So, so fundamentally, uh, I, I think there's something really important to remember, first of all, about history. So uh, what we're seeing very clearly now is that all of the projections from like the 2010s uh, were of coal, oil and gas going absolutely wild, right? Like, you know, by 2020, coal would just be absolutely skyrocketing. So would oil and gas. Um, and we've actually avoided that future. Um, that is something that you don't see in the IPCC report because they're not doing like a historical, like socioeconomic analysis of how well climate action worked. They're basically right, just right. taking the physical science and saying, well, we did this and this happened. And if we do that, then this will happen in the future. But in the past, we've actually seen emissions can be avoided. Um, Australia's renewable energy target is a brilliant example of that because it just worked, right? Like it, it has avoided yeah. emissions. Yeah. Australia's emissions would be higher without the presence of that target or the efforts of everybody who brought it into existence and all the people who defended it. Uh, and that's been operating on a scale around the whole world, right? Like um, it's obviously not enough. We need to be doing way more of that. But the fundamental thing is that we know that climate action actually works to avoid emissions and therefore prevent climate impacts, which would be worse today if we hadn't mm. bothered in the past. The same, of course, applies to the future, right? So um, if we try twice as hard, um, then, you know, we, we prevent even more emissions. And um, around the world, it's like a big power struggle. But uh, something I've really noticed, you know, over the past, like, say, six months, maybe even a year, um, the coal industry in particular is becoming really, really, really vulnerable. Um, coal power uh, has has basically lost its financial viability, not compared to running new wind and solar, but even to building new wind and solar. So for like a decent proportion of the world's coal plants, it's actually cheaper to shut the coal plant down and then run wind and solar instead, including the costs of integrating wind and solar into the grid. So like, you know, power lines and batteries and all that sort of extra stuff. It's still cheaper to turn the off switch on your coal plant and then pay to build entirely new stuff and run it because wind and yeah, solar have just yeah. become that ridiculously cheap. But but so what so what's going on in the brains of well essentially the entire Australian federal government yeah who who are trying to prop up these they they're giving subsidies to 
to coal mines to expand. You've got NAB giving out sustainability loans to Whitehaven to expand their coal mines, um, to to Newcastle Port to expand their coal ports. Like, what is going on? Like, in what way is that a rational thing for them to be doing? Yeah, so those obviously those subsidies shouldn't be happening, right? On principle, um, because you shouldn't be subsidising a harmful activity. Do they not believe it? Like, no, I would actually put that in a really important context, which is that the reason that those subsidies are actually picking up pace, particularly over the past two years in Australia, is because the um, uh, the markets are supporting those projects less and less. Um, so uh, lenders, insurance companies, um, thanks you know, largely to activism and, and sort of pressure on those companies, uh, making those projects far less viable, which is actually why they need those subsidies, right? So they got, but of course, um, they're basically chasing- They've captured a part of the government and they're just running down the timer on- whatever they can squeeze out of it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But but it's a losing game, right? Because uh, the realities of those markets is are actually beginning to really catch up. Um, coal in Australia is a really good example. Um, what we're probably going to see is coal plants actually closing earlier than their scheduled retirement dates uh, over the next sort of decade. Um, that is an extremely good thing um, in, in terms of emissions um, because you want to remove the emissions like coal is just like a huge huge chunk of australia's emissions but it's an extremely bad thing in the sense that there are communities like people who work in those coal coal workers yeah Yeah. so um basically what is happening is there's this idea that you can basically sustain coal for longer if you just kind of give it a government you know intervention push to help coal stay in the system longer but all it's actually doing is making those communities that rely on the um, like economic um, benefits of having power stations in their communities, it's making them more vulnerable to when it all kind of suddenly all comes home to roost. Yeah, yeah, um, and so, and and look, those communities know it. Like the Hunter Jobs Alliance partly exists because you know th- that whole coal mining community they know that it's rubbish that it can go on forever. And that they they're much better transitioning to something else now, with an orderly transition, than to fall off a cliff in ten years' time. Yeah. So when we talk about like borrowed time, that's that's it's not just on emissions. You know, it's for like the people who are exposed to a sudden and chaotic, you know, hit of reality catching up with all of the denial. Like that's um, uh, that's a real that's a such a huge risk. Um, and there are a lot of good people, you know, who who work in like. Um, coal and gas and like you know those industries who don't deserve to be like scapegoated um, or made vulnerable um, what should really happen is like the leaders of those companies and the governments should actually be stepping in and saying this is absolutely inevitable um, but we're going to actually manage this decline to protect you so what what's going through the mind of the executives and things like that like you know, it, for people who actually control these entities they're just like nobody, like what's like? Are they just evil? Are they just people who are, you know, just want to see the end of the world, or, or, or do they know that it's happening, but they sort of think that they can buy their way out of it, or they can go to Mars instead? Like what? What is? What? What's your? What's the vibe? Yeah, some people do. I, like obviously, the people who are sort of up top, they're 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 really they are quite evil. Like it's a really sort of um, they they're very conscious of what they're doing, and they um, they're very callously are aware of their own power and they know that they can basically delay action on this to their own benefit, even if it hurts people. Um, but 
And then, you know, people often talk about like the sort of the worker side of like people who are like, you know, blue collar and like working on oil rigs and stuff like that. But I think there's an interesting sort of middle um, where, you know, sort of like mid-level like managers and, you know, Mm. um, people like me who sort of work in like sort of comms and like, you know, things like that, right? Mm. Um, White collar professionals um, who seem to be going through this interesting process of basically sort of convincing themselves to some degree. Um, And so you see stuff, um, you see it actually in a political level as well, where a lot of the content that looks like greenwashing or it looks like trying to convince the public of something is actually them trying to convince themselves of something. So like, you know, like those folks are probably reading those climate plans or whatever and being like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that I work at a company that's actually dealing with climate change. I initially felt bad, but actually, you know, this company Mm. is doing the right thing. I went on down this rabbit hole a few months ago looking at um, tobacco company um, internal comms. Like there's all these amazing leaks you get from like <laughs> tobacco companies um, and their internal comms are the same as their external comms, right? Like they, they, they're they telling their staff like, look, we care about health. You know, we're researching safer tobacco options and we actually want people to not smoke mm. cigarettes and like that sort of stuff, right? And you see exactly the same thing with fossil fuel companies and to some degree with like, say, the Australian government as well, right? Because they have um, MPs and senators who um, want to feel like they're doing the right thing on climate change. So you see like uh, Dave Sharma or um, Tim Wilson, like they'll sort of post tweets about like how much they support renewable energy or how much Australia is doing really really well on renewables, but they don't really engage with the huge gaps and the huge um, uh, problems with the, the government's climate policy. Because you sort of, I, I don't know, I look at that and I'm like, I feel like they kind of just want themselves to feel a bit better about what's going on here. I just want one final sort of hopeful message, which is what is the one thing that we can do as ordinary people to actually do something towards this 3,900-page disaster document? Um, I mean, like, often I give an answer that's sort of a specific action, but I think I just want to give a more general um, sort of answer about the way we think about this, which is basically that every tonne of greenhouse gas emissions is avoidable. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I completely... You, it's okay to engage with grief and think about what we've lost and think about, you know, everything that we've kind of, you know, failed to do so far because all the power imbalance was just completely against us for the past. But at the same time, recognize that um, we're actually far more capable of more things than we realize. Um, And a lot of, we have a pretty, we have a pretty decent long history of um, things that we've won. If we can just expand on that in the future and just keep that principle in mind, which is basically that we have a bit more control than we realize. And um, it's, it's understandable to feel helpless, but that's mostly because the people who are making this problem worse like it when we feel helpless. Um, so yeah, oh, yeah, just keep that in mind when you're thinking yeah. about what you do. Keaton Joshi, I admire your naive optimism. Um <laughs> And I I wish you well. (laughs) Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> the Chaser Report. Less news, more often. Thanks for listening to today's special Saturday edition of The Chaser Report. Normal shows will resume next week. AQ's Red Microphones are part of the ACAST Creator Network, and I have all these stock phrases ready to go.